1: Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to "Music Is Not a Genre" interview edition number 22. Thank you, as always, for watching and listening. Don't forget you can support this podcast at Patreon.com/slash Music Is Not a Genre or Anchor.fm/slash Music Is Not a Genre if you are more into the audio version. My public hub is YouTube.com/slash Nick DiMatteo, and uh, as I have been mentioning recently, my new podcast home is nickdamatiocom slash podcast. Please go check it out. You're going to be able to see this podcast and every other podcast. I'm updating and upgrading every single week. Uh, With me today is Jacqueline B. Arnold. She is a performer, mostly on Broadway. In fact, currently on Broadway in Moulin Rouge, the musical. Also, Prince is her all-time favorite artist. We're going to get into that later. Jackie, how are you today?
2: I'm well, Nick. How are you?
1: Very good. Very good. I've been very excited about this. I'm glad we could get it together. I know your schedule's busy.
2: Eh, you know.
1: About
2: it... <laughs> time for friends.
1: Oh, uh, we'll yeah. Speaking <laughs> of, I always love to start my interviews with this question. Uh it's been appropriate for most of them. How do we know each other?
2: Oh, you want me to start this? Cool. Yeah. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Nick is now married to my really good longtime friend, Catherine Lundgren, whom I call Dids, um, (laughs) that I've known, oh, dear God, I don't even know how long we've known each other. I've known Katie Dids since she was 17, 18. Wow, yes. I was like, I think 23 there's like a band of us that all ended up moving here together from lancaster california we'll answer some more about that it was kind of where i got in the theater mm-hmm. we all moved here and we just have all remained really good friends
3: oh uh,
1: yeah
2: also, cali kids
1: cali kids yeah i've had the <laughs> had the pleasure of hanging out with all of you and you know what's interesting is i hear a whole lot about lancaster and as many times as we visited uh, her parents in the southern california area haven't seen
2: you're not missing anything.
1: No, because that's what she that's what Catherine says. Yeah. yeah so you it's, know.
2: It's desert, which is also quite beautiful in its own right.
3: Yeah.
2: It is a it is a very different person. I'm a place. I'm originally from Los Angeles, California. I moved up there oh, yeah. Okay. after a few years after high school just to like go to community college and live with my aunt and get a job and like figure out what it is I wanted to do with my life. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Basically, okay. you know, my family was like, I got into a couple of universities straight out of out of high school, but okay. I freaked out and didn't want to move, which was so weird because not oh. my personality at all. Huh. And I definitely, I had a boyfriend at the time that I was like, I don't want to leave, you know, just dumb girl. Like, uh, yeah, of
1: course. In stability.
2: love. Yeah. I 18 year old. <laughs> So I had a job and all that. And my aunt was like, yeah, you can just come stay up here. And but you have to go to school. And funny enough, that's what sparked my love interest with musical theater. I had never done musical theater prior to that. Oh, wow.
1: Okay. well, two two things, because this is exactly where I want to lead. One is. For those of you, especially who are only listening, we both have dogs and they're going to make some noises. Yes. And so you've heard you've heard uh, uh, Jackie's dog barking Rocco. That's right. And my dog, Olga, when she drinks water, it sounds like a washing machine. So enjoy (laughs) that. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, Olga. So, yes, that's good. Then what you were saying is leading me right into the next question, uh, which is, can you tell everyone, however you interpret this, your story
2: okay sure so like i was saying i moved up to lancaster california and i was about like 22 23 years old and i went to antelope valley college and i was like let me just try w- along with my general ed classes let me just try some other stuff that i was interested in. i'd always been interested in performing arts i went to bancroft junior high school and van nuys high school both under performing arts magnets for those of you who are um not old enough to know what a magnet school is. (laughs) (laughs) It's basically in particular neighborhoods, you had like all these other schools that hosted kids that weren't in their district. So you got bused away to school kind of thing. So I lived in South central and I went to school in Hollywood and Van Nuys. And if you understand California, that's quite a bit of ways from one another. So I ended up moving up there and Honestly, I met Katie in a dance class, funny enough. And she likes to tell the story of, I'm in this dance class and I wore these. <laughs> it's funny I have on red and white today. I had these pants that were really long and like stretchy pants, but very bell bottom at the bottom. And they were red and white striped. I looked like the inside of the circus, like the big top. Oh right? yeah, tent. yeah. Or like the good humor man. Some of you will know who that is. And she just, I remember her always being like, I was like, who is this girl? Because she was very heavy in the dance community. So when you took at ABC and you were a dancer, you generally had been taking from schools, dance schools or performing arts centers all around. So she kind of knew all the dancers. And then here I come doing this across the floor in my good humor pants and living my best life and not knowing anyone. And from then on, we were kind of like, buddies. Cause you know, in a dance class, they'll like pair you up to do different things with one another. And uh, yeah. so you start like learning each other, which was really, I was really grateful for, cause I knew no one. Um, like I said, I was living with my aunt and uncle, so they didn't know any people my age, you know, let's be real. And I got into a dance show there, which spawned me getting into another class called test flight. And I've always sang and I danced. I didn't dance like most kids dance, like at competition or anything like that. I just danced at school. And that started when I was about 12. So that's kind of late in the world of dance, okay. to be honest with you. Yeah. So 12, 13, I started dancing. So I wasn't like, I would never say I'm a dancer. I don't say that anymore. Okay. <laughs> I'm certainly a singer who moves well.
1: <laughs> uh-huh, that's it, yep. <laughs> and,
2: <laughs> while, you know... I That got me into another class called Test Flight, which was like this band, almost like a garage band sort of class. So it was just a bunch of us that got in there and sang sang different songs and covers. And that's where I met other Cali kids, Heather and Crystal. And turns out all of them, Heather and Katie, have been friends since like birth. I have no idea how long, right? Yeah. And somehow in that, we all started doing the musicals at school. And that was my first time ever getting involved in musicals, which also makes me kind of a late bloomer in the world of musical theater. Because I, I mean, what did I say? I was like 22, 23 years old. These kids had been doing this their whole lives. Like I didn't know musicals at the time. Like Rent was the most popular musical. And I basically was like, I mean, I've kind of heard of it, but only because I'd been around all of them. I knew nothing about it. So cut to Katie was very deep into learning photography back then. And we all would hang out just college kids. Like this is such college life. And we would hang out her. She had an apartment with a a guy, this guy, Chris, her friend, Chris. And we were all just hanging out over there. And we were playing around with her camera, taking photos and stuff. And then one night her mom called at like, it had to be like midnight or later. And she was like, they're having open call auditions for the tour of Rent, and Jackie needs to go. And we were like, I mean, okay, you know, you're a kid, you're like, I have zero fear. Sure. Katie, (laughs) my hair was bleach blonde, like, (laughs) like, blonde. And it was a bob and I had approximately this much roots of just jet black hair. So I looked a mess in hindsight, right? But it was the style. And I put on this, Katie had this uh, faux fur leopard collared jacket. And I was like, let's use this. So my first headshot is a leopard print faux jacket, faux fur jacket with bleach blonde hair. And we took the photo. It was a tiny, I mean, like a thumbnail size. And this is before you could like just send something into FedEx. We had to cut it out, take it to the FedEx Kinko's, blow it up on cardstock. And that's what I took to the audition the next morning. Wow. Katie drove me down to that audition. It was in Century City at a nightclub. And by the time I got there, the line started at eight o'clock in the morning. I got there at eight oh one. And at eight oh one, I was number fifteen hundred and one in line because it was an open call. Yeah. And they came through and they typecasted us.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And um they had me come in. I didn't know who they were seeing me for. Turns out they were seeing me for Joanne. And I sang seven words to the song Get Here in a bathroom stall in a Century City nightclub. No way. Yes. (laughs) And I literally sang, sang, I don't care how you get here, just eight words. That's all I sang. And they sent me to callbacks. So that at that point, they just gave me material and was like, go learn this song. Yeah. And I feel like I like, had to come back the next day or something. And I like crammed all this rent music in my head in 24 hours or less than that. Oh, youth. Right. I couldn't do that right now to save my life. And it was like five callbacks later and I did not get the job. Instead (laughs) I got a different show that Michael Greif was directing that was slotted to be here in New York at the New York theater workshop called bright lights, big city. That is It was based on the book from nineteen eighty four and the movie, actually.
3: Okay,
1: that
2: had Michael Keaton in it. I know the yeah,
1: I know the movie. I don't. That's I think all I know.
2: So we, I got the call. I was working as a waitress at Applebee's. I saved all my tips. I moved here with like a lousy three thousand dollars in my pocket or something. Oh my god! And we did. I came here and I did that show, and it was not well received. (laughs) it was open, I don't know, combined with rehearsals and everything, probably a month and a half. Oh, wow. And reviews were terrible. And, but this happens, you know, like, don't let this be a discouraging moment. This happens. And so I packed up my stuff. I was working at a place called Cafe Europa here. And one day I just went home. I was like, I'm going home for vacation. And I packed my stuff. And while I was there, my manager at Cafe Europa had decided that he didn't want me to come back. Not in a negative sense. He was just like, you shouldn't. New York sucks. That's what he always thought. But he was a New Yorker. He was born and bred and he didn't Uh, like it. And I was like, I don't feel that bad about it. He basically replaced me at the job. And the day that I was meant to come back, Katie and our friend Danny drove me to the airport. And at the airport, my bag, the computers were down, right? My bag was too big to fit through to get it gate checked. Mm. And at that moment, I was like, okay, fine, then I'm not going back. And luckily, they were still sitting outside at LAX, deciding what they were going to do. Yeah. I walked up there, mind you, everyone, this is prior to cell phones. So literally this was all just serendipitous, like how it was supposed to go. Mm-hmm. So I walk out there. They're still there. We throw my bag in the back of Katie's car, and we took off and went to Mexico for four days. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> we took to Mexico we were like, "Whatever. Danny's Aww. mom was like, "Yeah, you guys can use the credit card, it's fine." And we went to Rosarito Beach and hung out. She has much more detail about that Katie does because okay. that. We got drunk. I cut her hair. It was a bad moment.
1: I've heard things, you know.
3: <laughs> we'll I cut more. her hair with
2: children's scissors. It was... That sounds like
3: Mexico. Me, yeah.
2: They called me back and I did rent. I ended up going on tour with Rhett.
1: Oh, man.
2: Wow. And, it kind of snowballed and I've been in this profession ever since.
1: So after all that, with the five callbacks and you didn't get the part and then that they they had somebody drop out, I guess, and you were kind of an alternate or yeah,
2: like, um, well, someone was their contract was up.
1: Oh, OK. Yeah.
2: On the road for the tour. And so they had me come in, re-sing really quickly. I flew back to New York, re-sang, did the thing. By mm-hmm. the time I got home that night, it was like a two day turnaround. They were like, can you be in Chicago next Wednesday? So you, I only got like five days to get my life together, and Just go. never have I ever. Also, being a native Californian, I didn't really have a coat.
1: Right. Like I didn't have oh. proper
2: boots, and it was dead of winter in oh Chicago. God. So think about that.
1: Oh, forget it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it was not. It wasn't cute. Oh man. I mean, at least I had lived here, so I had sort of some things, but it wasn't like what I needed for there. So, needless to say, my first paycheck went to necessities of a warm coat and good boots, kind of thing. How long yeah, were you I was, on tour? With Rent, I was on tour for almost two years. It was like a year and 11 months.
1: That's, was this like 97 that this all came about?
2: So that was that was 98, 99. No, that was like end of 98. Yeah, yeah, I joined December of 98. And so into 2000, we closed in San Francisco like June of 2000.
1: Oh, wow. I have terrible memory, but I they had auditions in for Rent uh-huh I feel like it was a couple of years before might, might have been around that time then I was living in the area at the time and I stood in line did the whole thing auditioned for I I couldn't even tell you what role I sang like a definitely uh, a mark I'm you
3: know,
1: okay sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh I think I sang like a part of Amazing Grace or something like that and they were like thank you and that was about it but you know so I feel like, yeah, you you yeah. got the, you know, you got the hook. That's good.
2: I, I did the thing.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. Awesome.
2: So they definitely my raw talent
1: back then. Oh, man. Um, I mean, that's awesome. So what happened after your tour end?
2: Um, After Rent, and I honestly, correction on the date, I think it was 2001, because I then came home, got an apartment, and I remember I hadn't been home very long when 9-11 happened. So I... Came back. I had an apartment in Topanga Canyon, and I really was trying to like chill and take my time. I didn't under, I didn't know what the theater scene was like in LA. And while there is a seed for it, it isn't at no, it's nowhere near as vast as it is here. Yeah, right. And I had an agent, but they were based in New York, so I was sort of self-submitting and looking on uh, backstage and what have you at the time for myself. So I went on a few auditions, but I was just hanging out. I was just being an adult who had a young adult who had a little bit of money in her pocket. And I didn't know what was going to happen next. And then I got a call to come to yet another open call from a friend of mine for the musical Hairspray. And by this point, I was equity. So I, had, I was a union member. Right. And I remember them being in line and they're like Channel 2 or something was filming how massive this call was for this hot new show. Right. Yeah. And it had just swept the Tonys, So now the tour was going to go out. They were like, if anyone is any sort of union affiliation, you have to step out of line. And it was like 40 people. And I just was the only one who stepped out of line. And that kind of puts you apart from people in a way like, uh-huh. And they were like, oh, who's she kind of thing. (laughs) And it was like, I was like, nobody. I'm in line trying to get a job like y'all, you know. It got even more awkward because the casting director who'd cast at me in Rent and Bright Lights, he was actually the casting director for Hairspray. So he like peeked his head out and he was like, Jackie Arnold, what are you doing in this line? And he just brought me inside and handed me more callback information and was like, come back looking older. Like borrow your mom's clothes, do whatever. Because I was in for a motormouth. So that kind of snowballed as well. I like ended up being on Hairspray. Oh my God. I played the character Lorraine, who was the first understudy for Motormouth Maybell. Okay. And I did Hairspray from on the road from 2003 to 2006. And then I left the road and went and did the six-month stint in Las Vegas.
1: Oh, wow. Okay.
2: I was there through early part of 2007. And then I came back to the city. And I was here for quite some time doing, doing regional gigs. I didn't get my first Broadway show until 2010. This is only my second Broadway show, like on oh. Broadway.
1: So this is this just is something you said a, a little while back, and considering, you know, the where it took you and where you are now, I find very interesting because I, you know, I've been in and out of musical theater my whole life. And I feel like it was something that I had to come to terms with the fact that it it never really gelled for me as my primary, you know, like this isn't that's not really where I wanted to focus my energies and all of that stuff. But, regardless of whether or not, you know, there's luck or you get a part or you don't get a part. And what I found was so many of the people that I did musicals with, and my last musical was like six years ago or something, are so immersed in that world. They yeah. know everything about musicals and they know, you know, and depending on how old they are or whatever, but they may even know musicals from as far back as, you know, West Side Story and Carousel or up through Les Mis and Phantom and, you know, there are Sondheim freaks and, and then people who know everything from, you know, rent all the way on up until today. And uh, my, my son is one of them, actually, he's, he's going to school for classical voice and he know they, he knows so much more than I do. So I always felt like I enjoyed it. I was there, but I was a bit of an outsider. And I know you said you kind of started that way. What did it feel like? And where did you end up after that?
2: I mean, I did have like a part-time job as a kid in growing up, going to school in Hollywood. How do you get away from it? So I was a studio singer. Mm. I used to, and what that means is I was a demo singer. So somebody would write a song. I'd go in and record it the way they wanted and they would shop it to big names. I often did recordings for like Whitney Houston, like demo recordings for Whitney Houston or for Faith Hill. I did a couple. So I was aware, very aware of what kind of singer I was. I was, I was a singer though. You know what I mean? I always have been a singer
3: mm-hmm. and
2: I didn't know Jack Doodley squat about a musical. And to be perfectly honest with you, I still don't until I'm in them. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't, I'm not like, Oh my God, I got to go see XYZ musical. I am learn it when I'm in it and if it's attractive to me then cool that's great yeah I I didn't grow up like that I of course I watched West Side but I feel like West Side might be the only movie musical that I vividly remember I had never until about two years ago I had never watched The Sound of Music oh wow yeah I had never watched it my wife was like you have to watch this and I was blown away I was like
3: this is actually
2: really good right right (laughs) But you would think, because this is my profession, I would know all these things about it. And I'm not poo-pooing it in any way. And please, no one be mad at me about it. Mm-hmm. I just didn't grow up in that aspect. I grew up singing R&B and pop music and soul music. So that's where my brain lied. Mm-hmm. I was in that vein of, I could be a background singer. Like, I always wanted to be a background singer for Mick Jagger. Let's be oh, real. I
3: wanted
2: to be a rock
3: <laughs> Yeah, because
2: that's kind of where my voice was older. Even as a younger kid, yeah. I always had lower tones. When I get up there in my higher register, it gets real rock sounding. It's not crystal clear or even gospelly to some degree. But my family was Catholic. I didn't grow up in a Catholic. I mean, in a Baptist church. Oh, or anything. that's
1: very different. Yeah, mine too. Yeah,
2: <laughs> so yeah. I didn't. I didn't grow up with all of that kind of stuff. So it it's a it's interesting because now I'm finding that. More because musical theater has taken on this very pop, sometimes gospely sound. Mm-hmm. Kids are more aware of all the kinds of music that influenced this thing, this genre that they love so much.
1: Which, in some ways, started with something like Rent, where it would use those influences that hadn't quite been done that way before.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I'm I'm that girl. I'm your girl that. You know, Priscilla was a pop musical. It's a jukebox musical. Moulin Rouge is a jukebox musical. I mean, we have like 70 songs in this show. And it's just snippets. But Moulin Rouge is really pop oriented, which like I just described, my higher register sounds a little bit rocky. And pop high registers are quite clear. They're very clean, clear voices. So it's like, woo, I am hitting this note from my baby toe you know <laughs> really high and stuff it's sometimes a little bit uh it's it's interesting it's an interesting situation now i happen to love legitimate traditional musical theater like i like the sound mm-hmm. and the controlled way of singing but that's not what i'm seen for that's a
1: good way to describe it it's more controlled and it has that pure sound especially yeah when you're getting yeah. high notes Oh, yeah. Uh, But, you know, you have included your Instagram, which I'll put in the link below. Is there any place someone can go to hear your voice other than to see the show?
2: Oh, I mean, you can check out my website. There's snippets of me singing on there. But in terms of like live, I mean, I'm in Moulin Rouge every night. I have a quick 35 second solo. You can't miss it at the beginning of the show. Don't be late because you'll miss it. Um
3: <laughs>
2: and I I sometimes do gigs around um what is it April 4th, I'll be singing a couple of songs. Um at Green Room 42, one of my castmates does a live warm-up session every day. Okay. And it's spawned into this live performance. It's called Ricky Live Live. <laughs> oh nice. Okay. It's Santiago in the show, and I think there are still streaming tickets available there's no more in-house but you can stream it um so i'll be singing a few songs there with him i don't have any dates of my own just yet for this year
1: dates meaning solo shows or things like ensemble shows yeah yeah because i've seen you in some of those you know streaming and and live and yeah awesome um let's let's i want to get back to your to your history so you took us up to 2010 And that was when the other, your other, you said that your other tour ended? No, you said
2: 2006. So 2010 is when I started Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. And that trajectory was like the year before I was going to move back to California. I'd had enough of New York. I was tired of struggling, all the things. And then I crunched some numbers. And you guys, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it was actually more expensive for me to move back to California. You got to have a car, you had to pay for gas, and you had to pay for your insurance. And that alone was like an additional $900. Yeah,
1: that's the number we always throw around. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So I happened to see it, see the call for Priscilla Queen of the Desert, which I was a massive fan of the movie, always have been.
3: Mm, Great movie, yeah.
2: And they posted on the equity site. And I was like, I have to be seen for this. And I luckily still had an agent but also they were only um, based in New York. So I flew back, I got my call in and I went in there to get that job. There is something to be said about determination and tenacity in this business. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that kind of focus is very different. And so I did that until 2012 and that was my Broadway debut, which was probably one of the coolest ways to make your Broadway debut. I mean, we came flying in from like 30 feet in the air looking like these crazy alien angels i wore like a (laughs) three foot high this color red and purple wig that was just like a tower on my head and we did all this kind of movement in the air and stuff so if you don't know the movie there's three drag queens traveling across australia and they needed people to sing for the drag queens so the divas which is what we were called, we basically were the singing voices for these three men throughout the entire show. Wow. So two and a half hours of singing disco and pop and what have you.
1: Right, because that's a a jukebox
2: musical too. Yeah, big time. Yeah. Yeah. So we opened the show with It's Raining Men, and I sang the lead on that because that's when my... My low tones came in good handy. Oh, yes, yes. Um, (laughs) They dubbed me the Rock of Gibraltar. Spud Murphy, who was the composer, he was like, she has the best low tones. I'm calling her Gibraltar. Oh, nice. And so I always carried the bottom. Rest in peace, Spud. Um, Yeah, great guy. Super talented. He was a great guy. But yeah, and then I did that till 2012. And it was, a, it was a while before my next Broadway show said, hey, girl, how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, let me think. 2012. And then I went on the road in 2014 with a little show called We Will Rock You. Oh, yeah. It's a little jukebox musical, but mm-hmm. it's only queen music, if anyone knows anything about this. It was done in Vegas for a long time. A sit down. Okay. I did a U.S. national tour. And I played the Killer Queen. So I sang Killer Queen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was cool. And that was also strange. I'm I'm already 5'10", right? And I'm always dressed in these, like, giant, elaborate head pieces. I wore a three-foot-high mohawk, and it was, like, out to here like this. (laughs) Also red. I think people think I'm a good redhead. I don't know. It was funny. And, like, six, seven-inch heels, it was so insane and giant. And I did that for about a year and right after that I came home and I was here to New York and I was doing a show called Mighty Real, which is also a jukebox musical um, based around the late singer Sylvester.
1: I was gonna ask you that yes because that's the first when you said those words i'm like that yeah. is it that song yeah yeah whoa
2: so there some guys some friends of mine put together this musical that we had started doing back in 2012 just like concert versions of it yep but in 2015 we really started doing it several places almost touring it we were in san francisco for a full su- two summers in a row um, we've gone to Virginia, we go to Mexico and do it every now and again at different oh, wow. uh, LGBTQ festivals. So that actually is still kind of ongoing. Every once in a while they'll call us. And I played Martha Wash and my friend Stacy plays Izora Rhodes no in way. the show. Wow. So we did that for a long time. And then I got to go on the road for the promotion for Bette Midler's last album For the Girls, which was about all the it was paying homage to girl groups from the '60s and such. Oh wow! So I became a harlot, for a Bette Midler Harlet. Oh for, wow! I don't know. I guess that was like four months or something, which was cool because that took me to Europe. I got oh. to perform at the Royal Variety Show. Like that was. There have been some really cool things.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll say. <laughs>
3: you,
2: when you start listening to them off, you're like, "Wow, I like the." little charmed life there. That's, oh, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah. And wow. then I came back and Moulin Rouge was like, Hey girl, you want to do this? So I was like, I sure do. <laughs> How long have you been in Moulin Rouge? Um, I've been involved with Moulin Rouge for since 2017. So five years. Whoa. Wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. I hadn't realized it was that long. Yeah.
2: Yeah. April, end of April will be five years.
1: No way. Right. Yeah. Why, cause when did it open? On Broadway? yeah or Um, anywhere like when preview anything you know
2: my process has been this long because i got into it very early on sonia taye the choreographer little do people know everybody has to audition for a musical in some regard right so she was basically auditioning to be the choreographer okay and in order to do that She put together the opening number. So the opening number of Moulin Rouge is almost 20 minutes long. Oh, my God. Because everybody gets introduced, the entire cast, except for Satine, the sparkling Uh diamond. She needed singers and she needed four women to sing the title Lady Marmalade.
3: Mm -hmm. Okay.
2: And I've been singing that song since, as my mother would have said, knee high to a grasshopper, you know, just my whole life. So a friend that was on the road with me in We Will Rock You, he was one of her dancers and he brought me in. So that's why I've been involved for approximately a year longer than everyone else in the company.
3: Gotcha. Okay. Because I
2: did that choreographer's workshop with her and it ended up being that I ended up um, becoming like the vocal instructor for her because she's not a singer. Mm -hmm. And so, but we all had to sing live and what have you. So basically we won, she became a choreographer. And with that, It was like, do you want to do the show? But I still had to audition. Oh, really? Okay. Mm -hmm. Because you have to think like, here's a role. Let's just use mine. I play La Chocolat in the show. There's probably, I mean, I couldn't even tell you the number, but a plethora of other Black women who sing really well, who move well enough. So I had to fight for my part. And oh, did I fight. It was very reminiscent to the Priscilla audition. I went in there, guns blazing, ready to go.
1: I, okay. That, how would you describe what you say is fighting? What did you do?
2: I mean, you have to think you're in this room and oftentimes it's, you don't sing with other people straight away. You dance with other people though. Mm-hmm. And they generally bring you in five at a time, mm-hmm. which means there's probably 30 to 40 people in your call alone. Right. And that's just that couple of hours slot. Yeah. So I thought in terms of being the one person who attracted the most attention in the right way for the people behind the table, for casting, for the director, everyone, even when we weren't asked to sing, I was singing the song so that they knew I could dance and sing at the same time. And I wasn't going to be out of breath or anything like that. Mm. And then when it was free movement time, You can't be shy. And because it's the Moulin Rouge, you have to be body secure and body positive in some regard, or at least find something about yourself that feels sexy and sensual. So, you know, I don't really have that kind of, my body insecurities have thankfully began to diminish in my life, throughout my life, because I've certainly had issues Growing up, trying to be a dancer in Hollywood, California, you know what I mean? It was just Uh, there.
3: Yeah.
2: And so it was that kind of, that's the kind of fight you go for. And then when you get in the room and it's time for you to sing, you sing your ass off is what you Mm do. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, And a lot of times these auditions, they're just really trying to see if you can take direction.
1: Yes. Right.
2: You know, so they may ask you, let's lower this or let's pitch this a half step higher. You do the best you can. And there is a part of it that you say, "Okay, we're getting out of my money zone here, out of my money notes. But you figure it out. And I do have a couple of lines. And so for this character, I made him as sassy as possible.
1: (laughs) And I think this is good. This is a good illustration for anyone out there who is auditioning, too. I I remember when I first started uh, way, way back, I used to think of uh, auditions and even to an extent rehearsals as places to work things out, you know, like, oh, I mean, I don't need to, I don't need to go all the way to this distance or there. I just need to show I can do something. But if you really want a role and if you want one in in something this prominent, especially you have to treat an audition like you're already there. You're on stage, you give it everything that you have.
2: Definitely. It is. I still learn every day, right? Every time I do the show, I, the other night, Sunday night, I realized something was happening that's been happening every day for four years. And I finally saw it and I was like, Oh, and you know, it also changes when you get new company members in. So like we have a new Ziedler. So my lines to him, because he speaks a certain way and his intention is driven in a different manner. My lines are said differently than they were with Danny. Eric and I have a different kind of rapport. He's a little bit younger. So we have a different relationship between Ziedler and La Chocolat on stage. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's it's more on par with one another where when Danny played it, he he was not older, but just more seasoned. He'd been there longer. And so I did have, while the intention of the repartee with one another was the same, the way I went about it was different. And that's what happens in auditions. You have to not only sell yourself and go full throttle as though the part is yours, you also have to be open to maybe looking at it a different way. And, you know, and that kind of brings me to nowadays, we do a lot of this, this Zoom session auditioning or self-taping. The upside to the self-tape is you can redo it. You can do it a few different right. ways and right. send it. In. But there's nothing like that immediate, visceral, what comes out of you in like it is in the room. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like that. You can't take it back. So you have to commit to it and go for it. And I prefer that because also it's one and done and you knock it out and you go out and then you take yourself to a very expensive wine lunch (laughs) so you feel good about yourself (laughs) beautiful yeah that's what you do that's what i do when i have an audition i'm like today's a treat day treat myself because you're your product you're putting yourself out there like that i love that though you know because that is whether you're getting paid
1: for it or not that's part of your work so why not say you just did something great and you deserve a little treat you know
2: yeah you deserve that reward.
1: I found I have found that because I tend to be a studio rat, that mm-hmm. initially this experience has been great for me because I do all my voiceover and on-camera auditions and even some singing and just do it from here, and I know how to work everything. But I've also found that the response has not been as as great. It, it's it is a lot harder to get that kind of visceral sense of. Not even guessing what they want, but just riffing off of the energy in the room, whether it's another person working with you or just somebody watching you and letting yourself go in a way where you're like, I don't have a chance to do a retake of this. And I think that other performers I know who are having trouble getting you know, more consistent work, it's partly because as as great as you can be on camera or in recording or whatever it is that energy is just not there.
2: It It's very true. The energy for a performer is imperative. And it's, you know, you're also dealing with delays when you're on Zoom or, I had an audition once for Mrs. Maisel and that, you know, they, if you're familiar with the show, they speak really quickly.
1: Yeah, a pattern. So
2: it was a situation where the reader, basically I had to cut off the reader in order to pick up the pace. Right. And I could not, Fully conceive of that because your intent, you've learned to let a person finish and then right. you have to come off. And I was like, Whoa, this is crazy. And that was literally the only reason because I didn't speak fast enough. And I was like, That's like not fair. No, in a sense, right? But it was fine. You know, it is. I was just excited to audition for the it. The audition, sure. And, yeah, sure. And get down to those callbacks. It was like me and another girl. It was cool. And sometimes that stuff is cool when you're auditioning because you're like honing in, you're learning. Now I know I can take from that and I know what that means. When the speed is quick, you got to cut them off. You just got to get past it and move on. Yeah, it's, it's real. Um, nowadays is really interesting. We did just get noticed that auditions are back up in person via equity and they're primarily- Oh, wow, okay. Business, so that's great. That is good. But the pounding of the pavement, I don't. Miss, I love that I have a job. I'm very grateful. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, that's that's in some ways harder than just in having an actual job. It you know? is. So now that you're and you've been involved in this show for five years,
2: mm-hmm. and it
1: doesn't seem like there's any. It seems like it's at this point it's just going on, right? There's no. Yeah. So it hasn't
2: been open for five years. I've been involved for five right. years. We opened on Broadway 2019. I want to say March 2019. No, that can't be right. Maybe it was September 2019 because when the pandemic happened, we hadn't even made six months.
3: Okay, yeah,
1: that
2: sounds right. Right? So now, come April 24th, we'll make this chunk Broadway 0. 0.2, 2.0, I should say. Mm-hmm. This is our first six months. So in a show that's been up and functioning for five years, we're just now making a full year of performing Oh my <laughs> on god! on Broadway. Wow. I didn't even think of
1: that. Jeez. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's doing so well. I mean, with the, you know, awards and, and the reviews and everything, it seems like it's just going to keep going, which is.
2: Yeah. I mean, we won 10 Tonys, including best musical. Yeah. And now there's the U S national tour just took off They're in Chicago right now. Then there's the Australian company and the London company and then our company. So there's four different companies of Moulin Rouge floating around the world at the moment.
1: With that in mind, it's kind of a, two, a two-part two question. If this continues on for X number of years, will you stay? And whether it does or not, let's say let's say you
2: decide you don't want to stay or it ends, what do you think would be next for you? So what you learn very quickly in this business is when you have a really good job that you're comfortable and feel satiated and you still feel creative in, mm-hmm. you don't leave it unless a better one meaning furthering your learning or career comes along so my character is a featured ensemble member so i can leave at any time if i get a principal contract right so that's where my trajectory lies is to be a principal i enjoy the show still i still have a great time performing it some days i don't want to wear a corset but that's okay Um, (laughs) And and so I don't have any intentions on just packing up and leaving because of a length of time that I've been in something. That's not a thing I do. Also, you know, listen, the cost of living is high in New York and this affords me a decent lifestyle. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: So there's that. There's the money aspect of it. But I am a strong proponent of never do a job strictly for money. You will be miserable it will not satiate you creatively. So it's good that I still feel and have some sort of verve and energy behind doing my performance every night.
1: Yeah.
2: If I were to leave, it would be for a principal contract or, you know, I'm also trying to break into the body positivity modeling aspect. Oh, yeah. Especially as a woman in her late 40s, you don't see a lot of my representation out there. I'm trying to get involved in that, and if that were to come along, and all of a sudden they're paying me ten grand to shoot three times a month, then yeah, I might walk away from <laughs> yeah. you know doing kicks and squats on stage every night, but that isn't the case just yet. No,
1: right, but that's a lot of clarity because you know that you're enjoying the job that you have now, and that it would take a certain kind of job yes. to move you along from that that's that's great
2: yeah, and go. you know I keep creatively. My creative juice is flowing. We have a separate business. My wife and I, my wife has several businesses. She's very entrepreneurial, but together we have a business called the kitchen chemists, which is a cannabis topicals company. So I make body butters and bath bombs. And we started it with a flagship product called our muscle rub. It's our self-care salve because I got injured. Like I hurt my knee. And I didn't want to smell like a geriatrics ward smelling like Ben Gay on stage and stuff, mm-hmm. right? So and cannabis is helpful for everything. I mean, we can get political and this is why Do big it. pharma doesn't want it to be as prominent and passed and the laws and what have you.
1: Yeah, the money.
2: So we are strong cannabis users of all kinds in this house and what people are realizing now is the CBD component of it tends to help with inflammation as well as your anxiety and what have you. So I always need anti-inflammatory. And listen, ibuprofen just isn't it. Ibuprofen would could easily make my vocal cords bleed. Oh or gosh, when you're sick, right. yeah, because when you're singing on ibuprofen, you know, your your blood flow is better. It flows faster but you could pop a vocal cord or or hemorrhage or even just a blood vessel and therefore then you can't sing anything. Yeah. So that's not great. So I created this rub because I needed my knees to not be swollen. So topically speaking, I mean there's a whole science behind it and you guys don't want to know that. That's a different day.
3: Yeah. Uh,
2: <laughs> but it takes away the pain without giving you that icy or cold feeling. I mean yeah icy or hot feeling. And it just all of a sudden, nothing hurts. You're just like, oh, I can function like it's a good day. And that's because your inflammation has gone down. You know, you reapply, why it smells really nice. It just smells like Christmas.
1: Well, I'm, I want to say two things about the one aside, which is about 10 years ago, I did that happen. That vocal cord thing happened to me. And I could sing within a certain range still, but it took about six months to discover what it was. And it took me about three years to, to get my full range back. So those kinds of dangers are real, but I am a I am a sometime kitchen chemist user and especially, <laughs> especially that salve. And I gotta tell you, first of all, it's one of the greatest smells out there and yes, it feels really good, and for someone who has constant inflammation, I really recommend it, and I'm going to include a link down, down there you, for
2: absolutely, you. yeah, glad it works for you yeah. it does,
1: yeah, yeah i need a I need a much larger supply, let's just say I, know. I
2: mean, that's how we <laughs> yeah. warm up in Moulin Rouge. Everybody just rubs it on, and they're like, "I'm ready." let's go right yeah we talk jokes. <laughs> especially the, the can-can girls you know they do like 40 kicks oh, in a God. row or something. yeah so much yeah mm-hmm. just that so constant
3: much. wear
1: and tear yeah which weird you know I don't know if it's weird or not but it reminds me of something we I mentioned way early on in this in this interview which is your love of Prince Oh. And I always think of how the guy would give his all and everything and was taking medication to deal with the issues that he was having, which ultimately ended up, you know, killing him. Yeah. And if we had had more medication like this available and that stuff wasn't rampant at the time, then so many people would still be with us. Um, so it's kind of a weird segue, but I guess, you know, it it, it it's connected. Tell me about your love of Prince.
2: Man, Jackie at age 13 probably saw the movie Sign of the Times every weekend for at least an entire summer.
3: <laughs>
2: I lit my best friend at the time, Angie, and I went to see that movie every weekend. And some days we would see several showings.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: of course, I loved Michael Jackson, right? I had Michael Jackson on my walls. In my fifth grade, you know, you take your pictures, picture day. My mom was a single mom and I went to school and I had this very cute little blue and white dress on. She was so angry at me because I decided I should wear buttons. And the three people of the buttons were Michael Jackson, Prince, and Boy George. Wow! And they were on the front of my little dress. And she was like, I can't give these pictures to anyone. (laughs) Oh, So awesome. it goes all the way back to like age 10,
3: mm.
2: right? He was a little risque for my mom to be okay with me liking so much, but I loved, like 1999, oh. I took the album jackets and posted them on my walls. And I remember her making me take one of them down because he was like on a operating table, but he was naked and you could just see like the crack of his butt. And she oh, was like, yeah. that, is, that is not for you to see. And she <laughs> it down. So I was like 10 or 11 years old. But Sign of the Times really put me over. It was somehow I started relating to it. And, and not even only lyrically, I started relating to musicality. The actual song Sign of the Times, the beginning of it, the doot, 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 doot. Do, do, you know what I mean? Like sick. that felt like a whole story was about to if you equate it to musical theater, that was the curtain rising. Mm. And I remember feeling that feeling. And then as I got deep into it, I mean, my ultimate, this is going to be kind of weird for people, but my ultimate favorite Prince song is actually Starfish and Coffee. Yes. Oh my God. (laughs) Yes. And in junior high school, like I was so that. I actually did write graffiti on all the bathroom stalls. I also thought (laughs) I was going to... Grow up and change my name to Daisy Africa.
1: Oh, Oh, that's great. I
2: would draw like daisies and hearts and, you know, stars and shit everywhere. And it was just my whole I I really related to the story of Cynthia Rose and being kind of on the outskirts, non matching anything, just being a little in her own way kind of thing, like doing her thing. Yeah. And it just like. Spit fired from there, and then I remember getting. I told you I was a demo singer around yeah. those. It was like fourteen, fifteen, and oh. one of the engineers. He got a hold of the Black album. Oh yeah. yeah, and that was the album. I was like, "What am I hearing? I don't know what I'm listening to, <laughs> but it turns me on in all sorts of ways. Oof. In in an, like I remember hearing Bob for the first time and hearing him say i i'm gonna misquote the lyric but he's like spell it forward it's the same as backwards and i was like but that's genius like i I was like of course it is and he was like bob ain't that a bitch and you're like yeah this mofo's name is the same anyway you look at it he can't be nothing (laughs) i was so cerebral like trying to be up in there like that oh yeah oh that's awesome yeah. And it just kept going and going. And I mean, I don't claim to be the most well versed on every aspect, but my love is so deep. I've never cried when a celebrity died. And when Prince died, I was in tears and seriously mm-hmm. depressed. There's,
1: yeah, there are some deaths that you just can't ever really get over. And that's one for me, for sure. You know? It just
2: didn't make any sense.
1: No, no. Yeah, because he was like eternally young, you know,
2: yeah.
3: Uh,
1: I remember that black album era. I was in college at the time and and a friend of mine was hugely into Prince and said, you know, there's this record shop in I went to Rutgers. There's this rec- record shop in New Brunswick. They have the black album. And I I, I basically just didn't go to class that day. I just went, and yeah. got that, you know, but what one thing I love about Prince is that everyone kind of came to him, comes to him at a different point you know, and has different favorites on because he's so prolific. How could you not? Like Catherine always talks about Graffiti Bridge. Like that's yeah. her album, you know. And for me, I remember 1999 and like Delirious and all of that. But it wasn't until I heard When Doves Cry where I was like, how could somebody put out a single without a baseline? What is he doing yeah. right now? Like, holy shit. You know, and from that album, you know, Purple Rain, just pouring over I, I'm, it's right there actually pouring over the lyrics and, and, and wanting to play that part backwards to hear what you're yes. he saying and all of this. I was hooked from that point on and all through that kind of like, psychedelic period in the 80s with the you know like that's one i think that might be my favorite era of his and that's you know from that through sign of the times and i in the pandemic uh 2020 i did like a whole prince uh set acoustically Mm -hmm. uh as a live thing and starfish and coffee was in that set because i couldn't not do that
2: song man the other day at work eric anderson he plays Ziedler he came out and he was just kind of warming up, like saying the lyrics. And I wasn't even dressed. I ran out with my corset half on and I was like, I don't understand. You know that song? He was like, yes. And then one other person, Sky Bobby, comes over and we're like in a full chorus, the three of us singing it. Oh my and the cast goes, what is that? And my whole heart broke. What? But I was like, you guys, why don't you know this song? And they're like, we just thought you guys were riffing on each other and happened to somehow...
3: i was like no what are you saying
1: oh god oh wow have you seen the version that he did with the muppets
2: yes (laughs) i have yeah (laughs) so good
1: yeah that just makes him all the more awesome i got lucky a friend of mine's husband didn't want to go to to the concert and i got to see him in 04 oh and it was right around when what the hell is that Beyonce song with the horns? Crazy. Yeah.
2: Crazy in love or
1: Yeah, Crazy in Love, right? Yeah. Crazy No, yeah.
2: that's a different one.
1: Crazy Right Now or something. Crazy. Yeah, I, don't I don't know the title of the
2: song though.
1: He did, a, he did a he did a he did a live version of that. And I was like, oh my God, that's incredible. The whole yeah. That's my he...
2: greatest. That's one of my greatest um regrets. I never saw him live.
1: Yeah. It's kind of sucks that You have I you know there ends up being a list like that now. The more people go like, damn,
2: man, why didn't I see them live? I don't understand, you know. That that one's stung. That one stung yeah. a bit.
1: Well, now that we're coming towards the end of our time here, is there is there anything else that you want to say or leave the people with? I I have the I have links here that they can all explore, but I uh, and I hope everyone does because this is an amazing person who does amazing things, both on and off stage. Uh what do you want to tell everyone before we say goodbye?
2: I don't know. Like, you know, I get all hippie fied and shit and I'm like, good. love one another, man. Like, stop. This, there's so much going on in the world. You got to work really hard to find the good and it's worth it. You know what I mean? Like I was saying about my creativeness, we do this other business because it makes me feel really happy to have... You know, my witchery, I have pots boiling and, you know, I'm able to have a cauldron kind of thing. And I'm doing a th- thousand things. And, and musical theater is, is happiness for me because there is that immediate gratification of the audience and the applause. So I get to live this life that exudes a lot of positivity and a lot of happiness on a daily basis. And honestly, I'm just using this to say that's my wish for everybody. Ah, oh, God. Find it. Just that's find wonderful.
3: it. That's
1: wonderful. Couldn't ask for a better ending. Couldn't ask for a better message. Uh, Thank you for spending all this time with me. Yeah, man, no worries. It's been a pleasure through and through. And thank you to everybody for watching and listening. As always, I hope you explore all of the links below and get a chance to see Jackie live too. Amazing. And as always, uh, my objectives here, music, conversation, and connection, I hope we fulfilled them. I I know I felt like I did here with Jackie. And thanks again to Jackie and to everyone out there, and I will talk to you next week.
4: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football